kind of feels like after my announcements when I said we're going to have some great speakers that I'm really hyping myself up. <laughs> didn't, didn't fully think about the fact that I am the one preaching today, so. Uh, well, once again, uh, good morning. It is truly good to be with you this morning. On January 1st, 2023. Uh, I don't know what the next couple weeks will look like for you. Maybe it will be quiet or maybe it will be trying to change your twos into threes every single time you write the date. I know I am notoriously bad at writing the previous year. Uh, but I wanted to start off today by asking you a question. And hopefully today and throughout January, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, you'll think through this question. For some of you, it might be super easy. For others, it might be a little more complex. And this is the question. How was your 2022? If you were to rate it on a scale of the past 10 years, where would it go on this scale? Uh, over the past couple of days, and I've just been truly shocked as I've gone through Instagram and social medias and through the news, uh, at the number of people who have been posting highlight reels and posts of fond memories and of things from this past year that has brought them great joy. Perhaps it's because this is one of the first years that we've returned to uh, kind of a sense of normal, where we can go outside and do things and not have to worry about all these restrictions and stuff. But as I've looked through these, I begin to reflect on my own life. And for me, I feel like I'm still trying to process 2021. I haven't even begun to think about what last year was like. Uh, because this past year has just gone by scarily fast for me. Uh, this has been a year of, of lots of transition, lots of change, of, of moves, trying to learn new things relatively quickly, uh, failing, learning from that, trying to figure out what the words rhythm and routines mean in my life as they become foreign. Now, this isn't to say that I'm going to categorize last year as a bad year. Last year was actually a, a phenomenal year, and God has been incredibly kind uh, in this past year. And I don't know what you feel about months, if you have a month that you're particularly fond of. Uh, one of the things that I do love about January, and it's not one of my favorite months, I just want to put that out there, I don't like the cold or the darkness or the bleak cold snap that we're going to inevitably get in a couple weeks. But I love the new opportunities that arise. I love entering into a new season and entering into a new time of year. Uh, for some of you, if you're parents especially, this might be September when you can kick your kids back to school and you get some freedom. And part of the reason why I love January so much is because, as I've said, I like to reflect and I like to sit down and look back. And I'm not really one to, to make New Year's resolutions, but I am a very goal-orientated person. And, and I love to sit down, uh, and these are all goals on cue cards that for the past six years that I've taken time to reflect upon the year, to think through, all right, where could I improve on in my life? Where could I take that next step? Where is one thing that maybe I could achieve? Or uh, in recent years, uh, where do I feel that the Lord is leading and calling me? Where is a ministry opportunity that I can focus in and put my energy in? Uh, and this process, which started back in 2017, has gone from Stephen wants to achieve this GPA, he wants to read this many books, he wants to do this great thing to, oh God, who is that person you want me to invest in? Where is this thing that 
you want me to pour out my life for. And it's become a fairly spiritual and theological practice that I work through uh, as I establish these goals in my life. Now, one of the things about this is that uh, it's also a, a great practice for me to not just keep doing new and new things, but it's often a time for me to renew things, to go through and to think, hey, I, I really liked reading my Bible more last year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to renew that, and I'm going to try to dig deeper this year. But it is also a great time for me to, uh, to reflect and to look back and to say, where can I move onward? Where can I uh, let that goal, that ambition, that, uh, that thing of the past go and move forward? And uh, as we're going to dive into Isaiah 43 here, uh, new doesn't always mean bad. doesn't always mean good, but uh, it's not always bad. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you uh, to join me in Isaiah 43, and we're going to start in verse 14. Uh, but before we do that, let me just set the scene so that these verses that we've already heard today have a little bit more weight behind them. So Isaiah is a prophet of God. He writes this great big book over his lifetime during what is a pretty rough period of time uh, in the nation of, of Israel and Judah. Uh, these were in the days when uh, the tribes of Israel, uh, the 11 tribes in the north and Judah in the south, were fractured. Uh, there was a lot of fighting between the nations. There was a lot of turnover and change between kings. Uh, and Israel is captured by the rival nation of Assyria. Uh, they are... Uh, Captured, and while Judah is technically free, they themselves are going through a period of their history that I don't think any of us would necessarily look back and go, I want to go live in that time period. And so when Isaiah arrives on the scene, Judah is, is free and they're a fractured nation, and all of this takes place within the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And then we hit chapter 40, and there's a shift in the book. Uh, Babylon, another ancient Near Eastern empire captures and takes Judah. Uh, and those who know their Babylonian conquest history will know that those who were middle class, high elite scribes, teachers, prophets, uh, even workers and slaves who could be good manual labor were taken from Israel, from Judah, and they were put into Babylon to work, to serve the Babylonians. Uh, and those who had no value the Babylonian Empire, were left in Judah. And so uh, Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah, these prophets that we have great big books about in our Bible that we can read about during this history, are taken. And uh, at least a good chunk of their books are written while they are uh, captives, while they are displaced from their homeland. And so while the book of Isaiah is written through this lens, uh, if you take time to read it, it's, it's very poetic, and it speaks about uh, the holiness of God and God's character, uh, almost like no other book in the Bible. Even throughout hardship, Isaiah still writes about the might and the power that the Lord has. Uh, and then we arrive in chapter 43. And as we will read, the people are sad, they're afraid, they're going through years of endless hardship with no end in sight. And yet Isaiah still writes about the might and the power that the Lord has uh, it's pretty cool. The Lord uh, here is, is described as, as a God who comforts them, who speaks to his people. He reminds them of a times uh, when they have already gone through hardship and when he has already redeemed them. Uh, and so uh, with this context in mind, let's jump into uh, Isaiah 43 and hear these words again. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, 
the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. And then I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down and they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, uh, nor consider the things of old. Behold, O Israel, O Judah, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, and do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now, an important thing to note in these verses about Isaiah, the writer and the poet, is that within this chapter and within this entire book, uh, Isaiah writes of lots of moments, uh, which if we were to think about it as a Wikipedia page, there'd be little hyperlinks. Uh, so you, you know, Wikipedia, they have the blue links, you click it, you go to another page, and then you get stuck in an endless loop of all of a sudden you're looking for, you know, when was Calgary established, and you end up in the Babylonian conquest, and you don't know how you got there, but it's all connected and does a great job. Isaiah does this as well, and he, he hyperlinks these other scriptures, these other references, so that uh, the people of Judah during this would have read this and would have gone, got it, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so uh, within these verses, Isaiah uses a lot of imagery about Israel's history of captivity, especially in the time uh, when they were in Egypt, which is a fairly smart move by the prophet uh, he would have uh, been the guy to pass on the message uh, from God to the people. And so for him to essentially go back to the people and say, hey, recall this time when you were captive. When, uh, look at Egypt when it was really, really hard. And yet we, we survived. We became who we are today as a nation because God used that time. He looked after us. He uh, took us from uh, a little family to a great nation. He sent Moses and promised to love us. Uh, he did it then, and, and he'll do it today. And then we get this beautiful poetic pattern in these verses here uh, regarding uh, their day and age. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you if you can multitask. Keep the story of Exodus in the back of your mind throughout this uh, time today uh, as we talk about Isaiah uh, and, and this story here. Uh, and so, uh, a great thing, a scholar much smarter than I has, has broken this down into the, the beautiful pattern. And so, there's two parts. There's part A, which is the promise, uh, and then we get uh, A1, and we can throw that on the screen. Uh, we get A1 and B, and then A2. And so, A1 is the Lord, the Holy Redeemer, which then also, in verse 15, follows the Lord, Holy Creator and King. Uh, and so, these first verses, we get the promise from God. And then uh, in the second part, in part B, we get a pattern that emerges throughout. Uh, we get uh, a way through waters where people are destroyed. And then a little bit later on, in A2, we get water in the wilderness and a people is saved. And then in the middle sections, we get new things that are promised and new things that are described. And as we read this, uh, Isaiah is writing with the Exodus story in mind to remind the people of, hey, this is hard but we can get through it. God is doing a new thing. 
And so we jump into verse 14, and right off the bat, we hear it's from the Lord itself saying, thus says the Lord. Uh, And then throughout the rest of chapter 43, God's character is described as redeemer, the one who comes and saves. And then continuing verse 14, it says, for your sake I send to Babylon. Uh, Judah, it is for your benefit, it's for your gain that I'm sending you into captivity. Uh, It's not God punishing them going, well, you messed up one too many times, so I'm going to have to discipline you now. I'm going to have to give you a timeout because you didn't listen to me. But it's, it's God saying that good will come from this. He's using this time to take care of his people, similar to when the people went to Egypt. In Genesis, we read of this uh, little tiny family going to Egypt amidst a famine, and there they grow into millions and millions. Uh, and then once it's time for them to leave, they, they, Egypt, their captives, wouldn't let them. And so God intervened with plagues and redeemed his people from there, uh, from something hard and that we would consider bad. The Lord used it for good and did a new thing there and was victorious. And so that's the promise, the promise of, I'm going to do this thing again that he gives the people. And then we move into the pattern, uh, and we can read about this in verse 16, where he connects this story further and says, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Sound familiar to anyone? Exodus 14 speaks of the Israelites, led by Moses, arriving at the Red Sea. Moses puts his staff in the water and the sea moves and dry ground is created for them to cross. A path is created in these mighty waters. However, Pharaoh, as we, uh, some of us will probably know, Pharaoh's heart gets hardened and he goes and he chases after them and their chariots chase after them. And what do we hear? We hear that God destroys Pharaoh's army. God protects his people. He extinguishes Pharaoh like a wick. And so here, uh, Isaiah is using this as a call for reassurance. God's done it once. He will do it again. Different nation, different captor, different era, same result. God looks after his people and redeems them. Then we move on and we arrive at verse 18, and and we get this turn. And uh, if we read this fast and we go by it, we might get a little confused here. Right after we get this uh, reference back to Exodus, we get uh, verse 18 where we are instructed, instructed to, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. This, I don't know about you, seems a little out of place to me if Isaiah is being intentional with these hyperlinks. Uh, how do I, you know, not connect myself to that story if I'm not supposed to remember the things of old, but if Isaiah is being intentional about it, what's going on here, God? And and what we actually get here from this verse is we get God telling the people not to be people who grumble or have a pity party for themselves uh, about what life was like before they were captured. The life that you, you know, they had before, perhaps it was a good life, they had a good house, maybe a good job, they had the best sheep or farmland, they had lots of servants or uh, whatever it might be. But here, God is instructing the people of Judah, remember not those things. Look what I'm going to do. It is going to be a hundred times better than the things of the past. 
Aren't we fantastic at doing this? Aren't we just recently amazing at remembering the things of old? I don't want to speak for you, but uh, the number of times that I said, well, we, we used to do it like this before COVID, or, you know, the, this event, we used to run it before this pandemic happened, or uh, we haven't had a normal Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year since 2019. We are, we, we are and have been truly exceptional at remembering the things of old and holding on to them. And now that we've entered, uh, now that we've just entered into a new year and we've come out of this weird quasi, mostly no restriction kind of year, we're trying to figure out what this new normal looks like. How do we do certain things that we haven't done in years? How do we remember the things of old? But then in the very next verse, we read this great, great news. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, which is a call for attention for the people, I am doing a new thing. Or uh, as some uh, commentators have, have said, a better translation is, I am about to do a new thing. I am the, in the midst of doing a new thing. Uh, in just a chapter earlier, if you were to jump to Isaiah 43, 9, uh, we read this. It says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. And so, in Isaiah 42.9 and Isaiah 43.19, here we get two instances uh, of not remembering the former things and instructed new things are on the horizon. They're going to spring forth and good will come. Uh, just as, uh, you know, winter, our world needs winter so that it can sleep and rest and so that new life in the spring can bloom forward, uh, so too is God planning a new thing. So too are there these seasons that we have, that we go through, so that new things can be done by God. And what is this new thing? For Israel, for Judah, uh, for Isaiah, it is redemption. Redemption from their captivity. Redemption from Babylon and the return to their homeland. And later, hundreds of years later, it's redemption from sin and death as the promised Messiah arrives as a little baby boy. Friends, we are entering into a new year. Our Lord is going to do new things. A new thing in our world, a new thing in our province, in our city. We've heard this morning here and in our first church. New things are being done. And I wish I could say, I know what those things are, and I wish I could say, life is going to be great uh, unfortunately, I don't have that ability, nor should I say that. But remembering our pattern, we get back to this second hyperlink in verse uh, 19, and uh, we get this uh, re reference again back to Egypt. And it says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink to my chosen people. And again, Think back to the Exodus account. Think back to after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, Moses is leading them and tasked to lead them to the promised land, but he's not alone. God provides a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of dust in the day and guides them throughout their journey. He provides manna and water daily for them to drink uh, as they are wandering. Not just for his chosen people, but for the animals, for the earth 
as well for the things that he has created and he has chosen. As Isaiah writes this, he looks around uh, and he sees uh, these chosen people that are captive. He sees the Babylonians. He sees the situation he's in. He sees the sin and the hardship that he never could have imagined. And yet he writes down a message of hope. A message of reassurance for these chosen people that God is working and doing a new thing. And that they will one day be able to move on from the season that they find themselves in into something great. This isn't just for a message. This isn't just a message for Isaiah, for his people. But it is definitely one for us today. Now, to be fully frank and honest with you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was preaching a message very similar to this, also in the new year, and I got up in front of the church that I was uh, working at at the time, and I said, friends, this year, God's going to do new things, and it's going to be truly, truly phenomenal. It's, uh, we cannot imagine what God's going to do. It sounds very similar to what I'm saying today. Little did I know that two very brief months later, I would be told my internship was going to be cut short, and that I had less than 48 hours to pack up and to return home because of the dangers of COVID-19. I was crushed. I found myself angry with God. I felt that everything that I had worked for on my internship was ripped out from underneath me. I was also mad, not always at God, but also at myself because of the message. The one message that I preached there that kept cycling through my head, see, I am doing a new thing. I'm going to do something new. I will take care of you. And a part of me felt cheated, and I felt like a liar. And I was angry and sad that not only that I had to leave, but also that after getting up in front of a church and saying, God's going to do something new. That's the new thing? That's what you're going to do? What? God, it just, it, it just can't make sense. That can't be the new thing you're doing. So after, after my initial reactions and as I allowed myself some time to, to, to be sad, to return home, to figure out what is the new thing that God is doing. I returned to something that I know how to do somewhat well, and I began to set goals. I knew that I was going to have three months where I had no work, no university classes. I couldn't leave my house. The only other person I'd see would be my sister because we were living together. And I knew that I had a couple of options. I knew I could sit, and I could mope, and I could be angry with God for three months, or I could trust that whatever God has planned for me, whatever this new thing is in these three months, that God will use it for something good and for something new. And I, I didn't know what that was, but I knew of those two options, trusting in God was probably the better choice. And, and as I took some time to write down these goals, and now a couple years removed from it, I now see the gift of these three months. Uh, during that time, my priority each day shifted from uh, just being on an internship and doing all of the work to entering into Scripture, taking time to pray each day, reading uh, books and finding free online classes that I could uh, try to work through and to figure out how do I connect better with God? How do I deepen my relationship with God? Where is my faith journey actually? And what could have been a waste of time in my life turned out to be what I consider some of the best three months of my life 
that would uh, not only go on to prepare me for the summers and the years to come, but it was a season of rest, a season that I didn't realize I needed so very badly. God was doing a new thing in my life, and even though it is not at all how I would have planned it, it turned out, it turned out to be exactly what I needed to move on from my internship to enter into the next season of my life uh, and to uh, trust more in God and less in Stephen. 600 years after Isaiah writes about this new thing, God uh, does another new thing for the world in taking on flesh and entering into the world as a little baby, as we have celebrated uh, just this past week. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to this world and did a new thing. Coming to this earth in the fashion that he did, uh, picking the disciples that he did, teaching in the way that he did, uh, all new things for the chosen people of God. Ministering to the sick, the widowed, and the orphan, to anyone and everyone, regardless of gender, ethnicity, cleanliness, how much they tithed. It didn't matter. It didn't matter who they were because this new thing that God was doing This new thing was redemption. It was redeeming the world and blanketing it in the Father's love, in the Father's grace, the Father's forgiveness and hope, giving the world uh, a new thing and the only thing that it truly needs, which is the Son. Jesus is the new Adam and the first to exemplify uh, what life should look like. As Jesus models for his disciples and as his disciples model for one another and as we can sit and we can read here and we can model for one another, Jesus provides a new way of life. Do you not perceive it? Behold, I am doing a new thing. I will make a way. Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, O Israel. Behold, O Judah. Behold, First Church, I am doing a new thing. Friends, I'm not sure what this past year has looked like for each of you. I don't know if 2022 has been one that has been really kind for you and one that you're going to look back really fondly upon. Perhaps you're actually ready to move on to this new thing. You're ready to move into a new year. Uh, You're ready to just get on with it. Perhaps... Uh, you're on the opposite end where you're afraid to move on, where there is a part that is uh, scared of what this new thing is, this uncertainty of what the unknown can be. Uh, Or perhaps you're a third category who it's just the calendar flipping a date and it's just another day. (laughs) But I'd be lying if I said I knew what God had in store for us. And I would love to look you all in the eye and say that whatever God has in store for you is going to be a really good thing. What I, what I do know, what I can share with you, is that the greatest gift, the greatest new thing that we can possibly receive, the best thing we can focus on, uh, the, the thing that should be our number one goal, all of our New Year's resolutions, is the good news and the example of Jesus. And so whether today is the first time you're hearing about this new thing or if you've known about this gift for years, uh, we can take hope and reassurance in the fact that the Father has loved us, that he uh, gave himself for each of us, that because of the love of Jesus, we are able to move onward from our sin, our mistakes, our shackles, and the things that keep us captive. 
that we can believe in the good news and have relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And that in that relationship, as we continue to face new things, such as this new year ahead of us, we can do so step by step with the Lord, one who will never, has never uh, abandoned us, even though there are moments that we uh, have felt like he has. I'm going to call the worship team back up, and we're going to sing Jesus Paid Paid It All Again. If you are finding yourself needing to pray, needing to just have a moment, uh, I'm going to open up the altars, and you can come on up here. Uh, Or if you're needing to to talk to someone, uh, I'll be hanging around here after the service. Uh, Would love to pray with you and for you. Uh, Yeah. Whether you're uh, ready to commit yourself to Jesus or a new way of living, or perhaps it's a matter of renewing that relationship, I'll invite you today into that journey with Jesus, into this new year with Jesus as our focus and on our minds. Uh, This year to walk with God instead of walking our own lives by our own resolutions and own goals. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, God, thank you for this new thing that you're doing. Thank you for this new year that you have gifted us, God. Thank you for uh, this new blessing, Father, your Son, the Redeeming One, Emmanuel, who as we uh, get to celebrate during this Christmas season, Father, uh, came to this world, took on flesh for each and every one of us, Father. Lord, as we go from here, Father, may you stoke something in us, uh, something that we will carry with us uh, throughout this 2023 year, Father. Lord, uh, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the love that you have for us, even in moments when we don't deserve it. Thank you for paying it all for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.